Uh, we're in uh, Philippians. We've been walking through Philippians, and this next part of Philippians is uh, Philippians 2, verse 5 through 11. And it's kind of an extension of the thought that Logan presented last week, and it's about not being prideful, but being humble. And if there's one attitude that's like not fun to talk about, it's either being prideful or being humble. Neither of those are fun to talk about. Um, so you can open your Bibles to uh, Philippians 2. And, and if you're there, uh, man, we'd love for you to gra- grab the Bible app and download that. And if you go to events, you can follow along with all of our, all of our uh, notes there. Um, while you're flipping there, I-, I want you to think about pride. Uh, it's not a fun thing to think about. And you just had Thanksgiving, so you may have been around uh, some family that you haven't been around in a while. And pride's one of those things that's like so easy to see from far off. And you're like, man, my uncle is prideful about knowing about sports, but he doesn't know anything. He, know, he says all of their names wrong. He gets all of their names wrong. He only knows about the Cardinals from 1998 and the Rams from 99. Like, but he doesn't know anything. Um, or you have this aunt, this grandma, who insists on making green bean casserole, and it's never been good, but she's prideful about how good it is, and she wants you to know how good it is. Um, when I started uh, Missouri State, a long time ago, I was an economics major and a political science minor, and I came into um, school not knowing what I wanted to do. I liked those two classes that I took um, when I was in community college, so I was like, maybe taking more classes, I'll figure things out. Never worked out for me. Um, but I'm in my political science classes, and I remember it like it was yesterday. It was in Missouri State, it was in Strong Hall, and um, we had this class that was international relations. And the professor would, uh, he assigned us groups to start, and groups are never a good thing to start the class. If you start a class and they're like, all right, groups one through six, and they start pairing you off, drop it. Pick up another class. It's not a good thing, okay? It's not fun. Um, What he had us do, and I'm still waiting for a check from Missouri State because I think I was doing part of his job for him. Half the class was him walking through slides, and then the other half of the class was us, like one, one person in that group had to come and find like a newspaper article or an article online, summarize it for everyone, and then talk about how it had things to do with international relations. And I was like, listen, I came here because this person has his doctorate, and I want to learn from him, not these random other people in my class. Like, I, I'm sorry, they were great people, but they were classmates. They weren't professors, okay? Um, so I was, like, sitting in class, and I, I learned how to play, like, um, old Game Boy games on my computer, and I didn't pay attention one bit, okay? Because all you had to do was, like, raise your hand and be like, I agree with that, and I would do that, okay? I don't suggest that, but what, what ended up happening is that I would watch people from different sides of the political aisle, um, and some people that were just confused um, take very prideful and very hard steps stances on things that they did not know about. And I'm sitting in the middle like, okay, you're wrong. And then there's somebody on the other side that was like making a hard stance and digging their heels in the ground and they were wrong. And I was just like, everyone in this room is prideful and wrong. And I would just go back to playing Pokemon and it was fine. But um, the, anyway, that, that pride is such an ugly thing. It's such a thing that like we don't like. And on the other side of things, like I think we appreciate when people are humble. I think we appreciate when we have humble people around us. I think we, we enjoy being around them. It's helpful. Maybe you have those family members when I was talking about pride, you're like, man, I've got some really humble family members. That's great. I'm really glad you do. And you probably enjoy being around them a lot. Um, but it's also like, it's not the leading characteristic, it's not the leading trait that if you were filling out your resume tomorrow, you were like, man, I'm, I'm good at Excel, um, I'm proficient in C+, um, I'm humble. Uh, like, it wouldn't be on your resume. It's just not something that we like to talk about. But when we read what Logan read last week of, of Philippians 2, 1 through 4, you're like, I want to live in a place like that. 
We want to be a part of a community that is those things. So I'm going to read you the first couple verses of Philippians 2 so we can set the scene for what we're talking about because tonight's kind of an extension of that. So this is Philippians 2 verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in, the, in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others." Reading this, no person in this room would be like, I don't want to be around people that count my interests more significant than theirs. Everyone wants to be in a community like that. And when you start to read what the Bible has to say about how God designed communities of people and groups of people in circles that he wants his believers, that's who he's talking to in this, how he wants to describe them, every time it's like, man, I want that. You read Acts 2 and you read about the church and what it's doing and you're like, man, they're, they're giving of themselves and no one had any need even though they they were all poor, and, and it said that it brought awe on all who saw it, because they were just like, man, this is not normal. This is awesome. I want a piece of this. I want in. And then in John 13, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says, hey, this is how they will know that you are my disciples. And he didn't say by your intellect. He didn't say your face will glow. He didn't say you'd get a couple inches taller after you accept Christ. He said what would happen is they, they will know that you are my disciples by your love. We all want to be a part of a community like that. We all want to come home to, to a house that's filled with love. We all want to have a family history that's love. We all want hope-filled future, filled with love, filled with humility, filled with people that are giving of themselves, sacrificing and serving one another. But I think we look at that, we read what we see in the Bible, and we're like, that's awesome, but I see what actually happens, and it's not what I see here. It's the opposite of what I read in Philippians 2. And tonight, he tells you what to do in Philippians 2, 1 through 4. In Philippians 5 through 11, he talks about how to get there and what happens when we do get there. So how can we get there? Philippians 2, verse 5, this is what he says. He says, have this mind among yourselves. He's just talked about humility. He's just talked about serving each other. He's just talking about what this looks like. And he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So when he says, have this mind amongst yourselves, he's not saying like hive mind group think, like in how bees get around each other and they don't think for themselves and they just, no, what it's saying is like, if your intention, if your drive is humility, if your drive is serving the people around you, it's gonna change your community. Have you ever walked into, I mean, this is, this is the difference of, of a restaurant. Walking into any restaurant and then walking into Chick-fil-A is two different things. When you walk in to another restaurant, uh, my, favorite, my favorite scenario was we were at a restaurant, me and Kyle Kicker went to a restaurant one time. I use this all the time in our team track. Uh, we went to a restaurant one time where it's like you go up to the counter, you tell them what you want, and then they make it for you. And um, I, I, Kyle was watching this guy, and this guy was just looking at people walk up to him, and he was probably having a bad day. I wanna, I wanna give this guy the benefit of the doubt. But he was watching people walk up to him, and he was just going, And he'd start making their stuff. And Kyle was like, he's not engaging anyone. He hasn't talked to anyone. He's let them come to him. So he goes, watch this. And Kyle walks up and he just goes. And I'm behind him like, ah, 
this is uncomfortable. Uh, he'll have the burrito. He just wants the burrito. Just get him a burrito so they're silent. And finally, the guy asked him a question. And I was like drenched in sweat after eight seconds of two people staring at each other. And Kyle was totally fine with it. But that's the difference. When you walk in someplace that like, man, they're ready to serve. They're ready to love you. They're ready to care for you. Going into grandma's house, going to mom's house, going to a place where you know you're safe and you're comfortable, that they, they love you for who you are. They're there for you. You're like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm safe. I'm comfortable. I, I, they know me and they still choose to love me. That's such a blessing. Instead of showing up when people are like, what can I get out of you being here? And he says, they have this mind among yourselves. What happens when a bunch of people, whether it's two, whether it's 200, get together and they go, how can I serve you? Hey, what's going on with you? You seem a little down. You don't seem, okay, is everything, can we talk? Do you want to not talk about it? You want to go do something else? What if the mindset was serving each other? Have this mind among yourselves together with one goal. You ever go to a sporting event where I'm like, Man, I, I love Cardinals games, and I love, going, I love the Cardinals, and I can go to a Cardinals game, and if something good happens, I'm friends with everybody around me. It doesn't matter. That's how we need to be to be like, you're a believer, man, I love you. You're great. I wish the best for you, because we'll be known by our love. Have this mind together. And he says it. He says, you have this mind amongst yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. And there's kind of two explanations theologically and depending, I read it in the ESV and that's what's in the Bible app, but there's, there's other versions that don't say that's that your mind in Christ Jesus, it's yours in Christ Jesus. It says that you have that example in Jesus. That scholars kind of argue that it's like they're both accurate, they're both true. You could kind of take the original language and say that they're both on, but they're both true. Because we, we have an example in Christ, but also that mindset can be ours because of us, our life being hidden with Christ. It can be ours. It's possible. We have an example in him. We can set our thoughts on him, on Jesus, on serving others, on doing this together. Philippians 2, verse 6, moving on, it says, who, talking about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, that, that can be kind of a confusing verse because it has words like, though he was, he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That word form is saying that he was God. He is God. Jesus is a member of the Trinity. He was there at creation, and when it, the moment came, he pierced this earth and walked among us, was born of a virgin. That's what we're getting ready to celebrate with Christmas, and walked with us. But he was God, and it's this confusing thing where when it's saying that he's equal, he didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped. It's not like God was like trying to be as good, Jesus was trying to be as good as God and just missed it. He couldn't quite grasp it. He'd get a hold of it, and then God would do something a little greater, and Jesus would fall. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that though he was God in human form, fully God, fully human he didn't use the privilege of God for his own personal advancement. He used the privilege of God to serve the people around him, is what we're getting ready to read. That he had the privilege of God, but he chose not to use it on himself. In reading for this, in reading about pride and humility, uh, I read one article that was with a, a, a job researcher, someone who helped place uh, people that were looking for work with jobs, and what that job researcher, who was very successful, had to say, they said, the way that you find someone who's a good leader 
is you give them privilege. You don't give them task. People can get tasks done, and if the money is great enough, that will be fine. But if you give them privilege, if you give them a leg up on other people, if they use that on themselves, they will not be a good leader. You give them money, time, career advancement, and they only use that for the benefit of themselves, they will not make a good leader. But what they said is that if you are a good leader, you'll be given that privilege and you'll use that to leverage everyone else around you so that everyone gets better at your privilege. That's what it's arguing that Jesus did here. Jesus had a privilege, and instead of him walking around as king, this can't be understated, that Jesus was God incarnate, walking among us. He could have walked around and been like, God, hey, let him see just for a second. Let him look. Let them actually see who I am. Let them see past the flesh. And they would have got a glimpse of God, and they all would have fallen to their faces It talks about in the Old Testament that Moses had this relationship with God. He said, God, I just wanna see you. And God said, okay, well, you gotta hide in this cave and I'm gonna go around, you gotta turn around. I'm gonna go past the cave. And it said that he went down the mountain glowing. Like God's presence is changing of people. And Jesus was walking on earth with that in his pocket and he chose not to do it. Like, I remember being 16 and getting the first $100 bill that I had, and I was like, bro, everybody's got to see this. Every bit of privilege that I had was used for my own advancement. God chose to pocket, Jesus chose to pocket that, to put it on the back burner so that he could serve. What do you do with your privilege? What do you do with the things that God gifts you? What do you do with your giftings? He was in the form of God, but he didn't count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. What that's saying is that like that grasp is something to hold on to tightly so that if someone came up and said, hey, can I have a little bit of that? You go, no, 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 no. This equality with God is mine and you cannot have it. He chose to set it down as a servant and give it up. He was still God, but he chose not to use it in that way. I think humility, and, and this is where I think it starts to get interesting. Um, humility, I, I think, is best grown. I think humility is best sourced to the people around it whenever the person has, has three things. Um, whenever the person has history. Um, it says that he was the form of God. He, he, he knew God. He was there at the beginning. He knew where things were headed. He knew where things were. He knew where his history was with God. He had history with him. He knew the character of God. He knew what was going to happen. He knew all these things. His history was cemented. He had history. He had a home with God. He was walking around earth going, this is not the end. This isn't it. So for me to kind of bow up my chest and say that this is where I'm gonna let everybody worship me, man, that would have been a belittling of what God had in store, that he had a, a home that he knew that was somewhere else, and lastly, he had a hope. He had a history, he had a home, and he had a hope. He had these things, this, this future promise of, man, the, the promise of what will come will be tenfold better. And I think sometimes that goes into our scarcity mindset on why we wouldn't go and serve. When you think through privilege, you probably don't think through like, what are my giftings? What's the, what's the dollar amount in my bank account? And I'm not just de- you know, deducting the bills from my bank account. I'm going, okay, I-, I have this. How can I serve someone with it? 
What can I do with it? How can I serve the people? Because in verse seven, he, he says this. He says, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I mean, he, it, he emptied himself. The attitude there is not that he was like, listen, I'm God, I've got a lot in reserves, I can pour out about 25%, and y'all will be satisfied. He emptied himself. He could have walked around as the king and let everybody see who he really was, but instead he said, that's okay. I just wanna serve these people. I wanna take the form of a servant. And I think one of the best pictures of how he does that is later in John 13, and earlier in John 13 than what we read earlier, he goes on to tell them, the disciples, that they'll be known by the way that they love. But in John 13, three through five through 15, he says, this is what it says about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. He takes them to an upper room and they've been ministering to people all day. They've been, they've been walking around. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had, listen to this, given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He knew who he was. He had this security in his heart and in his soul. He had this home, this history, this hope with God saying, I I know where my future lies. I know that me and God are good. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around them. Now, this wasn't just like, uh, that's just like a poor person's job. They had roles for that. This was the the job that was below that of a servant. This was a job that would have been humiliating. This was a job that would have been the end of any power, prowess, and pride that Jesus had because he took off his overcoat and he got on his hands and his knees. He filled water into a basin and over the course of the next couple of minutes, he got a towel and he washed 11, 12 men's feet. And he got to Peter. And Peter's like leaning in, like, Jesus, this is embarrassing. (laughs) You've got to stop if you want to save any amount of dignity that you have left. And Jesus kind of gets into this theological debate with him and he's like, listen, if you want to be known by me, you have to have your feet washed by me. You have to accept that Jesus has taken this attitude of humiliation so that you can be served. He emptied himself. He poured himself out. He became the form of a servant for us. And then in Verses 12 through 15, after this talk with Peter, he says when he'd, he'd washed their feet and put on, their outer gar- put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, listen to this, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If then, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, this would have been seen as a, as a high position and he just dropped it to the lowest that it could be. And he says, if I'm your Lord and your teacher and I've washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I've done to you. Humility is not this self-deprecation, oh, it's, you know, it's not about me, it's not this deflection that's easy to do sometimes. That's not humility. That's, that's, that's a false humility. Humility is there's no job 
that I'm above doing. Verse 8 says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There was no amount of obedience that he wasn't willing to take. There was nothing too high or too low for him. He was willing to do it all. By taking the form of a servant, I mean, he, he dropped himself as low as he could go. He humbled himself. He made himself nothing. That phrase, made himself nothing. He didn't make himself a little quiet when people were bragging about him in the next room. He didn't make himself, oh, it's just, it's just something that, yeah, I work on it. It's not a bad, not, you know, something I can do. He made himself nothing and served people that were below being served. When you look through, when you read through the Gospels and you read about the people that Jesus served over and over, it was people that, that people were like, the disciples were like, God, Jesus, you, you shouldn't touch that guy. Jesus, you, you shouldn't talk to that lady. Jesus, you don't know, the, 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 are, are you unaware of the cultural connotation that's around, if, if you talk to this person, if you touch this person, if you spend time with this person, Jesus was like, I'm, I've made myself nothing. There's nothing that I'm above. What have you made yourself? As I've worked through this this week, it's like, man, I, I want to be perceived a certain way. I want people to, to value me. I, want, I think that there are certain things that I'm like, if I did that, that would be humiliating. If I did that, it, it, in, in the quietness of my mind, I can say that doesn't benefit me at all. If I do that, that might change someone's view of me. If I go and serve in that way, if I make myself nothing, then people might view me as nothing. What if there's not enough money in the bank? What if there's not enough time? What if there's not enough resources? What if there's not enough? What if, what if, what if, what if? But Jesus, before he gets down on his hands and his feet, he says, knowing that he's come from God, he's going back to God, he rose from the supper and washed their feet. Are you aware of what God has done for you? Because I think it would drastically and radically change our view of serving people if we had a clear and accurate view of who God was to us, what he's done for us, and what our future is with him. Because sometimes I think we, we, like Jesus would have done, walked through the streets and said, this is what the best that I can make it right now. And he's saying, this is the worst that I'm ever gonna have it. So I may as well serve out of an abundance of security in who I know God has made me to be, who I know my relationship with him is and what my future is with him so I can serve and it's gonna be okay. There's a piece of this that I was reading it in my Bible, never, I've never noticed it before. The second part of verse eight, he says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. How do we become humble? By becoming obedient. We cannot disconnect humility from obedience. There are not prideful, obedient people. There are humble, obedient people. That in front of God, 
we're called to admit who we are. Because we are broken, because we have messed up, because we brought sin into our lives, into the people around us, into this world, our relationship with a perfect God is fractured. But God, because of his great love for us, forgave us, sent Jesus on the cross. Fully God, fully man, served us, loved us deeply. And that's the well that we move out of. And if you're here tonight and you'd say, I've never done that before, man, there is no path to humility besides laying down at the feet of Jesus and saying, obedience to you is the only hope that I have, not just in being humble, but in finding life. I wanna tell you about a couple of people. Um, Logan talked a couple months ago about a guy named William Wilberforce. And he was... um, an Englishman who was a part of their parliament who was a part of abolishing the slave trade in England. And he never actually saw it in his lifetime. Years after his death, it happened, but a lot of people say it wouldn't have happened without William Wilberforce. And in, in documents about William Wilberforce, it, it talks about how there's a duke that has a quote that says, when, he, when you talk to William Wilberforce, You forget how good of a man he is because of how much interest in you he's taken. Think about that. This guy that did these great things politically, socially, when he was talking to you, he didn't go, I'm kind of a big deal. He looked at you in the eye. He cared about you. He asked questions and you forget. He should be the focus. You should be asking him questions. He should be the one talking most of the time. And when someone asked him, what's the root of this humility? He said, I love to find children and play with them because kids don't care who you are. And if you have kids, you know that they couldn't give a rip about you. (laughs) They, They will, it is the most humbling thing. But he said, I find a group of people that can't do anything for me and I serve them. Now, it might not be children for you, but that might be a barometer for you. But maybe there's people at your job, at your workforce, at your school, at your family that you're like, man, talking to them is just a drag, and I'm not gonna do it. And that's a reality. But what about serving people that can't do anything for you? Um, There's a man named Samuel Morse, and Samuel Morse was famous for creating Morse code. And... um, He didn't create Morse code until later in life because he was an accomplished painter um, who was traveling all across the world painting and he was far from home painting and his wife got ill and died. And he didn't find out about her death until it was far past her sickness and she had already passed. And he was so overstricken with grief, he said, I've gotta do something to, to, to figure out how to get information to people quickly. And he created the Morse code that gets information out right away, and he had great fame, he had great fortune because of it. And it said that he wasn't proud or boastful, he was a believer, it said in a letter to his second wife after his first wife had passed, he remarried, he said, the more I contemplate this great undertaking, this thing that he got to do, he says, the more I feel my own littleness, the more I perceive the hand of God on it, and how he assigned to various persons their duties, he being the great controller All others are his honored instruments. Hence, our dependence, first of all, on God, then on each other. That he could have said, yeah, I figured out something nobody else had, but instead he said, man, I just, I I have this gift from God that he chose to give me. 
and he used it well. What gift from God that have you been given that you can just use for his good? And when people say, that's awesome, you go, yeah, I, I know. It's awesome that God gave this gift. I'm just trying to use it for him. Not in a deflecting way, not in a self-deprecating way, but a way that brings honor back to God. William Borden was born rich. His parents had unbelievable fortune. He graduated high school and his parents sent him a trip. They gave him a gap year and he traveled all around the world in the late, I think the early 1900s. And through his process, he got saved at a young age, but through his process, he never wanted to be a missionary, he said. But he said, going around and seeing different people, I wanted to give my life to telling these people about Jesus. And he applied at 17 years old to a Chinese mission. And they declined him and said, let us know when you're older. So he tried again at 19 and they declined him. And he tried again at 21 and, and he finally had to go and get his seminary degree and he got to go. But one of the things, he, he was at Yale University. They had 1,300 students and he started a small Bible study and he was just serving people. They said he would pray and then he would, he would talk about the Bible. And the, well, the thing that I read about him said that he wasn't good, that good at teaching the Bible, which is pretty incredible. But it said that several people would come and they said that they would divide everybody that's in the school up into groups and they would make lists and they would say, okay, you're gonna be in charge of that person. Go find them, invite them to the Bible study. And they said that somebody would say a name and it was somebody that was kind of difficult. It was somebody that was kind of mean. It was somebody that did not want to come to a Bible study and the room would grow quiet. And it said that William Borden would go, put him under mine. His list ended up with way more than anybody else's. His freshman year of college. And by the end of his career at Yale, it said that a thousand of the 1,300 students were attending these Bible studies. He changed the culture of a school by saying, I'll take the hard ones, I'll take the difficult ones. He graduates, he gets his, he gets his seminary degree from Princeton. Like this guy's probably no joke based on those two. And, and he'd, he'd go. He was finally headed to China. And he, he stopped by way of Egypt to learn language and spend time there. But he contracted a disease. He contra contracted spinal meningitis. And within a month, the 25-year-old was dead. 25. Heir to millions of dollars at the turn of the 19th, 19th century. But it says this, it says, upon his death at his request, his fortune was given away to churches and mission projects. There was talk of he wasted his life. He had all this promise. He could have gone and worked for his dad and been a tycoon. He could have just owned everything. But I read an article that talked about how his gravestone was lost for years. They didn't know where he was buried. This millionaire. And they said they found it. At a forgotten cemetery in Cairo and at a humble headstone. And it actually said that one of the reasons that it was lost was that it was put up against one of the fences, one of the stone fences that was put in place. And it says that his headstone was faced the wrong way. So it looked empty to those who walked up to it. But this is what was written on his gravestone. Apart from Christ, there is no explanation for this life. This person who had given everything, this person who gave away everything that he had, 
We don't know if that was his desire or someone else's desire to say, apart from Christ, there's no explanation for his life. Could that be said about you? Could that be said about the way that you serve? Apart from Christ, the way that you live, the way that you serve, the way that you obey, the way that you are humble, is it possible apart from Christ?